You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm Gil John and I've got another guest special today. Uh, it's a former Grade 1 um, SFA listed referee and FIFA official, John Robotham. John, welcome along. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me along to your show. Yeah, good stuff. I hope you don't have the, the hope that you've put the red cards away in case anything slips up here. So I'm in my back pocket just in case, mate. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. So uh, first of all, I've got to um, start by how you how you keeping in um, you know the what in the uncertain world that we're living in just now. Well, like everybody else, I think just now, John, it's it's day to day, isn't it? You know, um, it's affecting everybody, not just in the, the football world, but. You know, everything's, it seems to be one day to the next. We don't actually know what we're doing. So uh, I get up in the morning and see what rules and regulations have been set out and just go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's, um, it's in certain time in terms of Scottish football as well because the, the Premiership started back at the, the beginning of August and we've had the Betfred Cup started back up and the um, Championship to League 2 are all starting back Friday and Saturday. But um, there's one big... Um, key ingredient missing and that's the fans you know just what's your thoughts on um, the fact that fans can't get back in right now I mean it's it's, it's really tough I mean it, it's a difficult decision to I know I think it's been trialled I think Ross County and that had a, a wee trial at it yeah, and uh, Dean, yeah. If, it was, if it was feasible you know I'm sure there must be some way of letting a certain amount of fans into a game uh, space them out uh, I know other countries are doing it um, mm-hmm. But again, we've trialled it, but um, I've heard no more if it's intending to to do anything with the results of that trial. Um, but it, when it all boils down to it, it really is about people's health. Um, as much as we want to get the fans back in, strange, I've watched the Scotland games the last few nights and it's so strange, you know, watching the game without any fans in there um, and listening to the guys on the radio apologising for the language that they're hearing well, you know, I mean, it's what can you do? You know, you hear the players shouting. It's just it's a sad time. Yeah, definitely. As I, I had a ticket for the initial Israel game, so watching that on TV, I mean, was really hard. You know, even though they didn't play particularly great, I still would rather have been at Hamden that night. And I think um, the players definitely get a, um, get a feed on that um, from a Scotland perspective. So them missing that certainly was an effect. But in terms of um, the games that you've been watching, you know, what have you been making about the games? Um, you know, known because in my own personal opinion, I think it's there's not been many great games, and I think the fans not being there is having a big impact in that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, the games, some of the, the games really do like look sort of poor quality. Even some of the games, like the English Premiership, some of the games are usually of a high standard. Um, whether it's affecting the teams really badly, I mean, look at a couple of weeks ago, Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2, and you know, and then Tottenham 6 1 at Man U, and you're thinking to yourself, now then, under normal circumstances, would that have happened? Um, has it, has, is it having an effect on the players, or are they going out? Uh, with uh, the wrong mentality, some of the, the bigger teams and, and uh, getting caught out. Um, so maybe it is affecting the players a lot more than what they realise. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, certainly what it is um, going to be affecting is the club's bank balances. Now, the Scottish Premiership, at least, they've got avenues like Aberdeen, for example, of Red TV, Celtic, Celtic TV, that they can stream games to their supporters. Um, some lower division, and they've also got Sky Day as well, some lower division clubs um, have that option, but it's very rare for them to do it and not real feasible and they don't have the Sky TV deal, so they really need the punters in quickly. Definitely. I mean, my, well... Uh, I suppose I can say that. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a, a Wraith Rover supporter, and uh, we, you know, we have Wraith TV, so they were able to watch these five game and then the Hearts game last night. Um, so for for clubs like that who can still their fans can still see the game, but then again, it, it, it still means that there's there's no money coming through the turnstile, really, you know, and that's where it's hitting the, the clubs hard, you know, having to survive uh, with no money, you know. Yeah, you've just answered one of the Twitter questions that I've um, asked, uh, um, that has been asked by one of the Twitter followers. So, um, Sean, that question has been um, asked for you, so um, indirectly, so thank you very much. Um, in terms of your, yourself and your professional life, um, how's the how's that been affected? That's what's going um, on. Well, I was, I was put into furlough um, way back in March and only recently um, started back on a part-time basis, um, two days per week. Um, it's really now just from week to week if my boss requires me to go in um, and work I, I go in um, but plan is I'm only in Monday and Friday just now um, for work um, and then obviously the rest of your wages are made up by furlough um, I'm lucky in this fact I'm hoping to retire in December so you know like some younger guys who, who need their jobs if uh, for me personally um, I'm quite happy for somebody else to be doing the work and maybe sitting at home doing furlough uh, I guess so. well, I hope you're counting down the days nicely and um, for your nice happy retirement um, from from working and enjoy your life afterwards um, so we'll take you all, all the way back to your um, but actually, even before we even get on to your refereeing career let's get into your childhood so you say you grew up a Wraith Overs fan what, um, what got you into football in the first place John? In general, from school days, you mean? Or, yeah. 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 Well, basically, that, that was what it was. I, um, from my secondary school days, where I, um, I was, I played for the school team. You know, in all the years that I was at secondary school, and like probably in my era, um, we didn't have iPads and video games, and and you know, it was a, uh, you know, straight after school, uh, home changed. Uh, Make sure you got an extra jumper for the goals, and then out and play till it was dark, you know, until your mum shouted in. Um, so football was always uh, that way, playing it, and then obviously, you know, seeing it on television. Uh, um, because in those days it was once a week, you know, you got your Saturday game, and that was it. There's none of this seven days a week nowadays. So um, football was the main thing for me, um, and I played right through. Uh, my school days and then into amateur, junior, and then, you know, so I played up until the time I was uh, 29. What position were you? Well, in my younger days when I was able to move, I used to play. Well, I know in my days you had the, it was uh, two full backs, three half backs, and five forwards. You know, and uh, I uh, I played I played inside left in my young days in the old positions, mm-hmm. uh, and then I seemed to gradually move backwards as I got as I got older. Things I got slower, <laughs> and so because of my height, I eventually most of my amateur days I was centre half, but then I was farmed out to left back, and I thought, well, the next place is goalkeeper. So I thought, no, I better give this up. Once I'd finished playing at left back, that was me. 
Yeah. yeah, so you thought instead of being a goalkeeper, I'll just get into refereeing. What made you um, decide that refereeing was a path that you wanted to take? Um, I probably fell upon that uh, more by accident. I had played up until I was 29, uh, amateur football. Um, we played The team I played for it went through the divisions, third division, first division, uh, into the first division. Then we played in a cup, and then about in this cup with about 10 seconds extra time to go, um, I scored a time for side goal, you know, stepping on the ball on the goal line and it went in. And I, I got home and I said to my wife, I said, that's it. I said, I'm going out at the top. I'm going out at the top. We've won a cup final. I've scored the goal. I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing. And my wife says, oh, that's great. We'll get shot on a Saturday night. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought, not any of that nonsense. So uh, I quickly said, oh, I think I'll take up refereeing. <laughs> and the rest was just history. That's, that's why I took it up. Yeah, and just talk about the, the path that you um, had to take, you know, from get building yourself up through the ranks. I mean, was it a case of a couple of amateur games and then building your way up through the leagues? Yeah, I started. Um, it was after doing my exam in 80, uh, 1987 was when I passed my referee's exam. Um, the first level for me was under 18s. Um, the first game, first game I refereed involved... Um, the likes of Davy Bingham. Do you remember Davy Bingham? I remember Davy Bingham. Good player. Uh, Big Sean Dennis. X-Wraith, yeah. Well, Big Sean Dennis, they, they were involved. And that was that was where I started, under 18. And again, John, it was very much just a hobby. It was a hobby I was doing. Um, after a couple of years, somebody said, do you want to do amateur football? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. So a couple of years in the Kirkcaldian district. Um, and then I had the junior secretary, uh, for five, come on to me and he said, listen, we're interested in getting you in the juniors. So I said, yeah, for that. Still not expecting to go anywhere with, you know, um, my refereeing career. Um, and after a couple of years in the juniors, all of a sudden I was approached and said, look, we're going to try, put you forward to go on the list, senior list of referees. As a class three assistant, well, linesman as it was in those days. A um, couple of years there, um, up to class two, which meant I was doing reserve league football in those days when I had reserve league football. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden, before I knew it, um, nominated to go into class one. Uh, did the junior cup final and then that was me on to class one. Um, and then nomination from the SFA to go FIFA. And before I knew it, um, from running about in 1987 on the amateur parks, to being involved at international level in 1995 uh, and I just stopped one day and thought wow what happened there you know and that was me on the the road to enjoying the the joys of you know high class football. Yeah. What was the, the junior cup final that you, you refereed? Airport and Glen Afton. It was at Fir Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that for how Glen Afton uh, won 1-0 away. Uh, it was Tom Brown that scored. Tom Brown, I think Tom was at... Oh, Spurs. yeah, Kilmarnock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Tom was Tom was that day. Um, so that was at Fir Hill. They played that game at Fir Hill. I think Ruffy was... Now, was Ruffy in charge of... Ruffy might have been in charge of Glen Afton at the time. He was, yeah. It was them that won, wasn't it? Was yeah, it they won 1-0, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was a, a great day out. Um... Uh, at Fir Hill, the Junior Cup final was a fantastic atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Fantastic atmosphere. Um, and I think, although the game wasn't brilliant, I think the streaker at half-time kind of uh, perked things up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dep- depends on the sex, um, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Exactly. So that was it. Yeah, that was it. Junior Cup final. Then uh, I was lucky enough to have uh, Mr. Wharton as my supervisor that day. Um, and from that point on, I was then obviously got the nomination and, and, and up I went um, to Class 1. Did you say that it was Les Mottram that was your supervisor? No, uh, Tom Morton, Mr. Morton. Oh, Tom Morton, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I was going to say Les Mottram and Farhill just reminds you of one, one incident, but we won't go there. Um, Funnily enough, that was at Farhill as well, wasn't it? Yes, I, I, yes I mean, in the Paddy Conley goal. Um, yeah, that's still one of the funniest instances. Um, but <laughs> and then he went to the World Cup a year later, so he must have done something better after that. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's about you, not Les Mottram. Um, so your first, from what I was reading, your first um, senior game um, was in 1992 East Stirling, and yeah. you then start progressing. You know, what did you learn along the way in terms of, because obviously the higher up you're getting, you're, you're speaking to more... Um, Try and choose my worst case, more almost volatile players in, in terms of their character. How did you learn in, in, in terms of um, how you speak to them and uh, what was your type of approach? Um, I think as I was coming through the grades, um, I had a great admiration for um, Jim McCloskey, mm-hmm. the ex Ayrshire referee. Yep. Um, I loved the way he refereed, I loved the way his man management style. Um, and as you're going, as I was going up through the grades, I found that the one important thing Jim used to say to me uh, when I asked him about advice, Jim said, "Be yourself. Don't try and be somebody out in the park um, that you can't be. You know, try and uh, however you treat people in normal life, uh, try and treat them. Don't be somebody you can't be." So I was very much of the man management side. If I was able to keep my cards in my pocket when I could, and that was that was going to be my style because. Yeah, that was me and that was the way Jim McCluskey refereed and I loved his style of refereeing um, very much the man management um, I was very much down the line of not calling players by Mr Smith or Miss, you know, I was very much a, a first name terms which I thought kind of broke down a barrier um, the likes of the boy Davey Irons and that you know boys like that who you know I think you've got more uh, a response out of if you say, hey, David, get yourself over here as opposed to now, Mr. Irons, this is how, you know. So it was very much a way you spoke to people um, in general, and that's how I tried to do my referee uh, and treat people as um, I would treat them in normal life. Yeah, definitely, and um, and, that, and, and communication is um, obviously a key part. Well, it's a key part of any job. Um, the perception now that fans seem to have is that, you know, referees t- tend to talk down and players that they, they're a bit more skill teacher I, I guess you know you you've been the man in the middle you've you you've got to command the game and you've got to um you know lay the letter of the law but let it flow when need be so um but in terms of your your own approach i mean um did you ever get that kind of criticism that you were um are you aware that sometimes you didn't have to be too thought of and dismiss players right away and communication being so important Communication was important, and the one thing that players absolutely hated was the school teacher approach. You know, they hated this. Uh, they hated this. I, I always used to think that players, you got uh, more respect if you opted a working man's approach. You know, spoke to them on on a, a, a level basis. Uh, yes, you could still command. You could still command respect uh, and keep a hold of the game by doing it that way. Um, but definitely the. The finger wagon, the school teacher approach, the you come to me routine certainly wasn't one that, that I was going to adopt because I didn't think that worked. 
I think there was a, a halfway meeting point. If players were going to be stubborn, there was a halfway meeting point, and I think that was just the way you had to treat them. And they were grown men, you know. I mean, you can they're grown men with lots of experience. You know, when I was a, when I was refereeing, the, you know, teams like uh, Rangers and Celtic and all these guys, they were bringing uh, professionals from abroad who had been around the, the block and. You know, if you were going to try and treat them like like school children or talk down to them, you you were on a, a losing run right away. Yeah, um, a common one you you knew this would have been coming up. Um, so a couple of people have um, asked like Scott Johnson asked, "What's it like officiating um, Paul Gascoigne?" And uh, there's someone else. So I'm just going to do my Twitter last just now. Um, yeah, Michael Cole asked, "If I'm not sending Paul Gascoigne." Um, Send, send off Paul Gascoigne the Rangers Aberdeen game stalled your career and I want to ask about that because not just because I'm an Aberdeen fan um, but that that game I mean from what I saw um, there was a couple of not just with Paul Gascoigne um, but there was a John Ingles and uh, Billy Dodds and John Brown and Al McLarnanson as well um, how much did that have an effect so you can understand in reading um, doing the research you actually lost your job in the days before that, but you didn't tell your th- um, your employers. Yeah, I'd lost my job. I'd lost my job uh, days before it, but that uh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't the reason. Um, that day was one of the days when you know referees have bad games. Yeah, I, I took I took all my bad games for about five seasons and put them into that one ninety minutes. Um, you know, I'd be first to hold my hand up to say that day, uh, it just I just didn't referee the game well. Um, there were certain instances where uh, football is all about angles, and and I was at the wrong angle, I was in the wrong position, and I think it was one of these days where it started off bad, and it went downhill. You know, and I, I make no excuses for that day. I make no excuses. Um, yes, I didn't handle the game well. Do I think the players were at fault? Yeah, I thought some of them were at fault for players to carry on like that. Um, did I command the, the game that day? Not from minute one to minute 90. Um, uh, should I have done better? Yeah. Um, was Paul Gascoigne at fault? No, Paul Gascoigne wasn't at fault completely. He was at fault because he was the kind of guy who was on a, a short fuse all the time. Um a brilliant player, but you just never knew what you were going to get because I refereed Paul two or three times after that. And, um, you know, the one obviously I sent him off at uh, Parkhead, um, but then I did games with him against Hibs um, where he was as nice as Knighton's and uh, there was no problems. But that day, the only reason I had a bad game is I had a bad game. It was nothing to do with uh, the reported uh, losing my job. Um, and some people then reported after it that... Uh, I was demoted. I wasn't demoted because I did an East of Scotland game, I think, a couple of weeks later, but I was already balloted for that anyway. But did it stall my career? Yeah. It stalled my career um, a bit. But in the end, when you think about it, I still got on the FIFA list. So, it, you know, um, it certainly stalled it a bit, but I take I take full responsibility for what happened that day. Yeah. I mean, you might not have been aware at the time, but when you watch sports scene that, that night, is that when it first hits home that you're like, and, and do is that something that you would sometimes do? Is um, if you know the games in Scott in sports scene or Scott Sport, you would go back and watch it to reanalyze your performance. I always watch my games. Watch my games. And the, the the strange thing about that day is after the game, after the game, there wasn't a big there wasn't a big hoo ha. 
you know, in the dressing room or anything, which I, you know, I, I kind of thought was a bit strange. But then it was driving home that night. Uh, Doogie Donnelly was on uh, the, you know, the five o'clock to six town yeah. town and doing things that thing. Doogie Donnelly was on in this, and, and at the end of the game, at the end of the program, he said, "So on sports team tonight, we've got the Rangers Aberdeen game." And when he said that, at that point, I still didn't feel that things had went horribly wrong. <laughs> but then he goes, and you'll have. He said words to the effect of, "And you really have to watch this game tonight. Um, the referee's performance is something to watch out for." And I thought, "Oh, I thought that doesn't sound very good." So um, I went home that night, um, fully aware that things hadn't went well. And then I saw it on the telly and I thought, wow, things didn't go well. But then again, I noticed things, angles, I was wrong, eh, where I wasn't at the right angle, I couldn't see what was going on. Um, and I certainly didn't cover myself in glory, but I hadn't really realised how bad it was until Doogie Donnelly mentioned it on the, the sports uh, show after uh, sort of five o'clock. And then when I watched it, um, I was horrified at the end of it, thinking to myself, well, that really didn't go well. So, and, and see, when you met your superiors um, in the days or whatever it was afterwards, um, yeah. what sort of feedback did you end up getting? And you mentioned that you weren't the most you already had in the East of Scotland game, but, um, you know, did you, did you get marked down? And what what is the, um, was the procedure at that point? I mean, did you get... Oh, yeah. Definitely, my, my report for the my, my report for the game um, wasn't was not good. Um, my report for the game was the worst game, the worst report I'd ever had uh, in my refereeing career. Um, my supervisor, my own personal supervisor at the time, was a guy Archie Webster, um, who hailed from the Falkirk area, but obviously moved over to Fife. He was my supervisor in Fife, uh, and I I went to his home to discuss the report of, you know, what had happened and how it went. And uh, obviously then I, um, I then was called to the SFA offices as well to try and explain um, what had happened and, and, and why it had such a, a poor performance and, and what had went on, you know. Um, and that was just unfortunate that um, I, I knew things weren't going to go well, but I just took it on the chin because it was my responsibility. Um, so yeah, it was it was looked into. Um, I was given bits of advice from fellow referees. Uh, I was given um, encouragement from fellow referees um, at the time because some hadn't been through as bad as that, but some had obviously been through instances where things hadn't gone well. Um, and I was still relatively new on the top tier of referees at that time. So, yeah, I took a lot of advice. Uh, and hopefully, I think in the end, I actually came back from it, you know, stronger and, uh, and, and more savvy about what goes on in football. Yeah. At the time, did it affect your confidence? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um uh, the, the only the, the one really good thing the one really good thing that happened is um, a few days after that I, I, I was uh, down to do a European game um, the Spain under 21s um, in Alicante so I met up I think it was on the Monday or Tuesday with my fellow colleagues to fly out to that game um, and we had a little chat about the, the Rangers game on the Saturday and um, 
And although it affected my confidence, when I went out to Spain, um, I was I was buzzing for the game. I wanted, you know how you say, you get that game out of your system. I wanted to get the game out of my system. And I went out to Spain and ended up having a really good game out in Spain a few days later. And under 21, so it, it reinstalled the fact that um, I knew that I'd had a bad game, but it reinstalled the fact that, you know, I, I was okay as a referee, I was doing okay. So um, it kind of reinstalled my confidence um, to getting back to what I needed to be. But it took a few weeks, a few games to get back to where I felt I should be. Yeah, well, you must have recovered okay because, you know, just over a year later, you get your first international, first of five from what I'm reading, Cyprus yeah. and um, in Bulgaria. So I just want yeah. to ask you about, you know, when you're when you're managing, an, uh, not managing, refereeing an international game, it's obviously you're not coming up against teams that are speaking fluent English. You know, you've got separate and Bulgarian in this case. How more difficult does that become to officiate and communicate, knowing that you're speaking a different language from these players? The, the communication side of things I used to find quite amusing. If they wanted something in the game, it was funny how good their English was. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you wanted to speak to somebody or were giving them something that they weren't happy about, um, it was funny how the, the words no understanding <laughs> came, came to the fore, you know. Um, and I used to think, I used to think, coming for five, we kind of have a strange language, so maybe they even understood a wee bit of what I was saying. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was all about um, body language, hand gestures. Um, but in general, even in those days, uh, a lot of the teams did speak English. And if they wanted something, it's funny, real. As I say, you know, they knew the words penalty, they knew the words foul, they knew the you know. And there were certain things that they knew how to communicate with you if they really wanted to. But the the switching on the I don't know what you're saying uh, <laughs> phrase came very simple to them. Yeah, and that's just Scott Thompson. Um, he he yeah. actually tweeted as well saying, great lad, and, um, and from an era when refs could have banter back with you also. So I think that probably sums up um, maybe to what referees were like in your day. And there was a lot of good um, refereeing characters back then. I mean, you mentioned Jim McCluskey. George Smith is one that sticks out in my eyes. Les Mottram we've discussed, um, although we highlight the the Farhill incident, you know, he was still good enough to get to a World Cup. Hugh Dallas was starting to break through at that time. It was a decent era for, um, you know, some of the better referees as, a, as opposed to, um, I mean, I won't, I'll ask later on your opinion on the referees now, but certainly in your day, um, there was, the refereeing stars, in my opinion, were much better. I think, um, I think we had, I think we had a, a slightly um, easier time of it than what the guys do now. Yeah, that would be fair. Um, the referees that are around just now, I admire them. By the way, you know something, it's a tough job. And, and the referees nowadays are, are, are real good referees. And we were, I think the, the slight advantage we might have had is we might have been able to show a bit more character on in this, having a word, um, slightly less cameras. Um, but we were just, we just had that wee bit more leeway to put our own character in the game. As you say, Hugh Dallas, Willie Young, Kenny Clark, Mike McCurry, Alan Freeland, Stuart Dougal, you know, and, and we, we were able to, to put a bit of our own character into it. I think the guys nowadays are under so much more pressure. And, and, I, and I know people do not referees, but I think, you know, we do have a real good standard. You can just have to look at the European games that the Scottish referees have 
get throughout their careers. And um, even now, you know, Willie Collum and all that, they get good quality games, Bobby Madden. You know, Bobby, I saw Bobby Madden down, and you know, he'd obviously been invited out to a referee of the England game yeah. uh, last week. So the referees in Scotland, they're still, they're still real good referees. You know? And I think that we should maybe just stand back and, and if you look at our quality compared to some of the quality of referees. I remember Kalina came across here who was always regarded as the top referee in the world. He came to do an Everton game and, and he's, the Everton fan, the Everton lost and the Everton fans slaughtered him. You know, worst referee ever they've seen and I'm thinking myself, well, you know, he, he was considered the best. So I think we do have a real good crop of referees and, and, and I think they're younger. I think that's the main thing. They're younger now and it just takes a little while for them to establish themselves. Kalina, in my opinion, is hands down the best referee there's ever been. Um, that's, again, a personal thought. Um, Gav on uh, Twitter asks, do people get annoyed when they ask you for an autograph and realise that you're not Kalina? <laughs> is it Gavin you said that answered that? Yeah. I, well, I'll tell you what, Gav. I did, I did, I did, a, game, I did a game out in Salonica. Uh, Salonica versus Atletico Madrid. Uh, which was a, a big game. I mean, Atletico Madrid were, you know, one of the top cookies at, at that time as well. <laughs> and it was Kenny Clark was my fourth official. And Kenny was away checking the substitute boards. And in those days, it was old clapper boards that we had, you know, we didn't have these electronic nonsense now. And I went down to check the nets at the far end. This was when we arrived at the ground. And the wee ball boy came up, the wee ball boy came up with a pen and a bit of paper and... Uh, uh, he goes, a beat, a beat, uh, autograph, autograph. And I went, oh, I'm thinking to myself, geez, old boy for Kirkcaldy, you know, coming all the way here and getting, I, I sally night. So I'm now signing John Rome with him. I'm saying best wishes, John Rome with him. And the wee guy has called the other two or three ball boys, hey, hey, come, come, come over, come over. So they all come running over. And I hand the sheet of paper back to the wee guy in his pen and he looks at it with this sort of blank look, and he turns to his wee pals, these wee ball boy pals who had now come over, and he went, no, no Kalina. And then they all went away. You know, so I thought, wow, there was me thinking they were, the wee boy for Kirkcaldy was coming to get his autograph, but nah, they thought it was Kalina. Cheapers, curious what a letdown that was. Uh, I wouldn't say who that's more a letdown for. <laughs> uh, it was not... I mean, I know, I know Kalina because we went, we went on a course together mm-hmm. uh, when I first went on at the UEFA course, so mm-hmm. I do know him. Yeah, I think I think what made him stand out, um, made him the best was his eyes. You just weren't arguing with him. I think if you had the eyes, you might have been in his league. But um... when I went on the list with Kalina, we went over to Amsterdam because that's where uh, in a place called Zeiss, that's where the course started. You know, that's where you got your kit and you know what they expected from you. So obviously I'd seen him on telly, you know, I used to watch the Italian football on a Sunday afternoon and, mm-hmm. and I'd seen him and I, I thought, God, it'd be really good to meet him. So of course then when I get the list of the referees that were attending from the different countries, it was Kalina's name and I thought, wow. And virtually as I was arriving at the place where we were staying, the first person I ran into was Kalina. And, uh, you know, it was like, it was like as though we'd known each other for a, for a long time. Oh, how are you? you know, obviously his English was very good. It was better than my Italian. And, uh, we must have looked kind of like because the next morning at breakfast, Colleen and I sort of kind of piled together that, that five days we were there. And we were sitting at breakfast and Colleen went back to the breakfast buffet bar to get something. And one of the one of the girls from FIFA 
sat down beside me and started speaking in Italian. And I thought, she thinks I'm Paulina. And she said, she, she said something. And I went, sorry, I said, you've got the wrong referee. Just at that, Kalina came back for the buffet bar. <laughs> and she went, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I, I still to this day don't know what she said to me. <laughs> Oh, that that is absolutely brilliant. Um, so obviously, right now you're um you're able to speak to the media a bit more than what you would have done when you were obviously refereeing. Um, there's always been this clamour from fans in the media that the referees should come and explain their decisions. Managers are often saying that referees should explain their decisions, etc. Where do you stand um with this? And did you feel so at any point during your career that um that you should go and explain yourself um in front of the media, or were you just happy to get away? I never, not so much happy to get away. Sometimes it's frustrating because sometimes the things you would read in the papers or, or hear on the news yeah. uh, wasn't actually really what happened. So, you know, there was that slight frustration where you couldn't actually come out and, and say things. But what I used to think was I never thought that they, whether it be radio or TV or, or whatever it is, I never thought they'd be saying they'd want to speak to me to say, John, you had a great game today. It was absolutely fantastic to watch as a referee. I always felt that the question was going to be about what about that penalty decision you didn't give in the ninetieth minute, or what about that red card you didn't, you know? And and that was always that was always the problem for me was if it was a general question and you were able to answer it, and then that was it. But I just felt that there might have been a, a supplementary question if they weren't happy with the explanation you give, and if I knew they were able to accept it, and I knew at that time. The SFA didn't want us to talk to the press. Um, I know they did have a, a system whereby on a Monday uh, they were able to phone the, the referees, uh, who was in charge of the referees, whether it be George Cumming or John Fleming or whoever it was. Um, they were able to contact them and say, could you get an explanation of um, you know, why the referee did this or why the referee did that? But I always felt that it was, it was always going to be slightly controversial. Um, and that was always the worrying thing for me. Um, you know, it, it was it was always a difficult scenario, and definitely not after a game. The last the last thing you want to do is 15 minutes after a game was to speak to the press or anybody like that. So if there was anything going to be done like that, maybe on a Monday, um, but only if the the decision or the answer he gave was going to be accepted, and then it wasn't going to escalate into ah, but you know, you should have done this. Or, and that was always the worry, I think. Yes, that's a that's a fair answer. Um, F Bomb John, who also um, presents this podcast as well, um, he sort of asked the same question I just did there. Um, but he he says, um, what rule um, currently do you find most infuriating in terms of refereeing? What 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 law do I think? Yes. Yeah. Um. Wow. I I hated, and I I still I've always hated, and I better give it the right. Generally, this uh, simulation nonsense, the way players go down, I think is just a complete and utter nonsense sometimes, you know. And I sometimes think that providing the referee was 100% correct, and we've got VAR now, any player going down, especially in the box, to try and gain a penalty, and it's a clear dive, never mind this yellow card, just bring it a red card, and it'll stop all that nonsense of uh, diving about, you know. And because that, to me, that was the... That was the biggest, one of the biggest problems we had. Um, you know, it, it, there seemed to be a phase of it, maybe not so much now, but it just, there seemed to be this phase of where 
players would go down so easy, you know. And yeah. I, I can never understand why a player who's got his jersey pulled backwards managed to fall forwards with his arms up in the air, looking like a starfish, you know. I think, I think, well, wait a minute, how does that work? You know, I'm pulling you back, and all of a sudden your arms are out, you fall forward, you know, and and, and then uh, all this, uh, you know, I've been tripped up the, the triple salco followed by the backflip. Followed by the oh I'm okay now I'm up and running and, and I just hated all that that simulating and trying to get people into trouble or trying to con the referee basically. Yeah, and the the one where they get kicked in the leg but hold their face that's always a cracker as well. Um, so this weekend, <laughs> this week, sorry you go John. Incredible some of the some of the, the the play acting it goes on as you say when when somebody pushes somebody even in the chest and all of a sudden they do go down clutching their face and. It's just it's just trying to get people into trouble, you know, and I, and I, and I don't think there's a place for it in football. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, so this weekend we've got um, the first Old Firm derby of the season. Um, you were lucky enough to have 13, uh, 13 of those fixtures. Now you've obviously confirmed who you supported as a boy, um, yeah. but no matter, but in, in Scotland, as you know, no matter who you say that you support, Fans of those two teams must think that you have an allegiance either way to um, one or the other. Um, so, see when you eventually send off Paul Gascoigne um, two years later than you should have. Um, there was obviously you get criticism from the Rangers um, fans as well. What is it like handling that fixture? Or handling the fixture? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you very kindly said I was involved in thirteen, but <laughs> the, the real truth of that is I only refereed two and was fourth official at about eleven. So oh, right, so, okay. So, so I say to people, it tells you two things. I was either a really good uh, fourth official or quite a rubbish referee. I don't know how you want to look at it, but <laughs> it was a it was a day that just flew past. Um, it, it was it was an incredible derby to to be involved in, and uh, the atmosphere was intense. Whether it was at uh, Celtic Park or whether it was at Ibrox, the 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 atmosphere was intense from the time you arrived. To the time he got home, um, the game flew past. Ninety minutes, ninety minutes had come and gone um, because you didn't get a chance to think. Um, I think even I often say that refereeing is a bit about instinct and, and mm-hmm. instant decisions. And the amount of times that you, you make a decision in that particular game and you're on to the next one before you know it. So it's intense. It's intense, and you really have to be prepared for anything happening. At minute one and minute ninety, sometimes when you think a game's cruising into, you know, if have, whichever one of the old firm were winning, if some of them was winning three 0 you think, well, there's only a couple of minutes to go. We're we're cruising into this now, you know, the whole thing could flare up uh, within within seconds. And it was a fantastic, believe it or not, it was a fantastic derby to be involved in. The the, the pressure, the game, what it meant um, was just intense. I was lucky. I'm from Fife. Um, there's Rangers and Celtic fans here. I didn't think I had to have the same pressure as guys from Glasgow who would then have to try and go for a night out or, you know, take their wife out for a meal. But I could get away with it in, in Kirkcaldy. You know, I, I've kind of stepped back from Glasgow. But if you're if you're in, in a Glasgow referee, you, you know, you're in it. You're in it uh, probably a week after it, you know, in, in the fallout. But uh, I'll, the 13 I was involved in, there were some tough days. But when I look back on it, uh, it's probably a game that all referees want to referee. Yeah, I know you you um, refereed the one in '97 at Parkhead. Did you referee one at Ibrox as well? Uh, no, both mine were at Parkhead. Parkhead right, okay. uh, I was fourth official a few times at Ibrox. Um, 
in a Rangers Celtic game, but both the ones that I, I refereed were um, at Parkhead. Yeah. Um, with regards to the Paul Gascoigne red card that you gave that game, um, as I said, um, Rangers came out very critical of you um, for making that decision. Um, some cynics seem to suggest that you were making up for what you didn't do in the formation Aberdeen game. When you're making that decision to send them off, and I'm, I'm not saying it was the right or wrong decision, um, but when you're making that decision, did something subconsciously think um, that, that something that you did previously you, you, um, has come into play? Absolutely not. Hundred no. I tell you now, if I had thought that um, I was making up for what happened two years ago, I would have left refereeing at that point. I wouldn't have walked out in the game. Um, the thought didn't even cross my mind um, about, it, and it, it might it might um, interest you that um, after after the game at Ibrox Rangers Aberdeen, uh, Rangers Aberdeen, I can't remember how long it was after that. I refereed a game um, Rangers Hibs at Easter Road, and uh, as I was coming out from the front door, I was going to do something, I was going to meet somebody, and the Rangers team bus came up, um, and it just so happens, the first person out of the team bus that day was Paul Gascoigne, and that was the first time I'd seen him since that time at Ibrox, and I, from Paul Gascoigne, as he walked past, he says, uh, sorry about that day, referee. Now, yeah, people don't know that, well, they do now, but yeah. it wasn't, I mean, you know, we didn't hang about and, chat about it he just said I'm sorry about that day and that was it and that was the side of Paul Gascoigne that people you know probably didn't see so uh, certainly not that um, certainly Rangers game had I thought that I was um, sending Paul off to square things up um, I would have walked away from football because my credibility um, would have been out the window personally I would have thought nah you shouldn't be doing this game so uh, absolutely not. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing that seems to be picked up by commentators and um, and fans is that you know when the referee knows they've made has got a decision wrong early in the game that someone in the back of their mind they'll look for an opportunity to even it up. So um, is, I take it that's something that doesn't cross your mind personally ever. Certainly didn't cross it, and from the guys, I think from the guys who I was refereeing in my era, um, certainly we would all say the same. I mean, there was no. Trying to even up a game, trying to even up a game of football, whether it's a yellow card, a red card, a, you know, you hear sometimes saying, ah, "I give a penalty to that end," so you know, I hope he gives one at the other end just to, to even. Up. If you're going to referee a game like that, you really want to be stopping refereeing. You know, yeah. um, decisions passed. Um, whether you've made a mistake or not, you might realise you've made a mistake, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean to say that you go and make a an obvious mistake at the other end just to even things up and really if uh, any referee who's doing that really should be uh, hanging his whistle up and saying I think I'll better get out of here now because if you're going to go through your refereeing career trying to even things up um, you know you're going to be caught out sometime Yeah definitely I would agree with that um, so with regards to the old firm this weekend John Beaton's um, the man in the middle um, he get hit heavily criticised the last um, Celtic Rangers game we had at Ibrox back in 2018 the one where Ryan Jack scored because um, he failed to book or send off Morelos that game you've also been in that movie at a different game um, what advice um, would you have um, for, for John getting into this one? Uh, 
John Beaton is now an experienced referee. John, and, and I'm not skipping the question, I don't need to give John Beaton any advice. John Beaton has uh, been involved at this level uh, for a few years. John Beaton referees uh, in Europe. Uh, John Beaton is way capable of refereeing a Rangers Celtic game without an old codger like me coming out and saying, <laughs> uh, you know, here's what I think he should do. John Beaton will have his own uh, way to prepare for the game. John Beaton will have his own um, style of refereeing the game. And at the end of the day, uh, the reason that John Beaton's got this game is the SFA think he's capable. So I'm, I'm genuinely not skipping the question. I, I, I couldn't advise John Beaton in the modern game how to referee a Celtic Rangers game. John Beaton's been there. John Beaton's a really good referee. John Beaton's like every other referee who will have made a mistake in his career and have had um, a bit of stick in the papers for it. But John Beaton will have broad shoulders and John Beaton will do the job that he needs to do on, 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 at the weekend. And, and, and that's not to skip the question. John Beaton's the man for the job in SFA have decided that. So no advice needed from somebody who's been at the game for as long as I have. Yeah. And, and even though you've been out of the game now, and I will come on to your last game um, shortly, um, you, you also must keep an eye on the current crop. Um, there's... The scrutiny is high, uh, probably higher than ever in, in, in referees, certainly in this country. Um, and mistakes are highlighted so often on sports scene um, and on, on Sky. Uh, whoever's covering the game, you've got um, you know the opinion. More people are blogging, uh, more people are doing podcasts, and like yeah. myself, and giving opinions. Um, just, but what what's your assessment on how the current crop are? Are now, and I'm not looking to for you to compare them to to your day because I, I appreciate it's a different era. But what do you think of the standard of refereeing um, now? Um, no, are they uh, should they be better, or are they doing as well as can be expected? Well, I think it, it's right what you said. They, there is so many angles and so many cameras and so many um, opinions about uh, how good or how bad a referee is. Um, I think the, the current crop of referees um, are as good as the referees were. See, the thing is, see, when, when I was refereeing, people used to say, ah, oh, you know, you know, uh, or I've refereed, and now they're saying, ah, oh, you know, you boys are so much better than, you know, the guys that are doing now. But then when me and Hugh Dallas and Willie Young were coming through, people were probably saying to the guys before us, the Bobby Davidsons, and that's in fire away, you're much better than this current crop that are coming through. Everybody seems to think that uh, the current crop are not good. The current crop of referees in Scotland are younger referees. We've got some good, experienced uh, referees, Bobby Madden, Willie Collum, uh, uh, um, who, who are doing great. And it's we really do have a good crop of referees who are now developing into stronger referees. I think they're younger now. I think they start. I think they get them moving through the graves younger. And I think it just takes a little bit more man management. Um, it's easier to manage the older you get because you've had life experience. And I think that's the only possibly weaker side to have. But as, as regards a current crop of referees, the current crop of referees uh, are all refereeing well. They're getting good games in Europe and they're developing, um, as do young players. You know, young players develop. They may not be as good as the players who are in the squad just now, but they develop. And I think that the current referees uh, are doing a job that they need to do. And if they weren't, the, the SFA wouldn't have them in the position they're in. So yeah, I think you know, I just think, I just think in our time we have more household names than what you have now. There's a lot of guys, you know, you're not sure their names, but 
You know, we just talked about John Beaton and things like that. Well, they call him Bobby Madden. There's referees around just now who are top-class referees, and the younger referees are going to make mistakes, but they're developing into real good referees. And I think if you look at this, the, the quality of games that the Scottish referees get when they go abroad, I think we're held in high esteem. So I know referees will always get criticised. It, it, it's never going to stop. But uh, I think if we give the younger referees a chance, I think we'll find that the referees are, are OK. Yeah, I'd like to see them get to um, European Championships and World Cup. That hasn't happened for a while. Um, but with the, you also mentioned the development of the referees. Do you think yeah. some are fast-tracked too quickly? Well, not really because... Um, I think nowadays, a way back when they're when they're they're quite young, they're they're kind of schooled through the whole system now. Um, you know, from a very young age, they're not put they're not put into the games um, that the SFA think they can't cope with. I think that they're looked after. Uh, the management of are they ready or not are they ready? I think it's I think it's much more structured now than it was a way back in our day. So I think, the, and, and you have to remember, we, we've got the, the, the observers in that that we have just now are all experienced guys who are giving these guys and are passing on good advice to these guys. So I think it's just going to, it's just taking time. And I think sometimes maybe underestimate just how good uh, referees are. I'm not saying they don't make mistakes, for goodness sake, they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Centre forwards miss an open goal in the 90th minute with the, the, the game at nothing, nothing. But it's a penalty decision that the referee didn't get right in the 13th minute that, that everybody remembers, not the one that was bloomed over the bar. So referees are always going to be held responsible sometimes for things that don't go quite right. And the referees know that. You know, if, if, if you don't, if you don't realise that, you really shouldn't be in refereeing. You're always going to be under the microscope. And it's the old, you know, if you can't stand the heat, I think you have to get out of the kitchen. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair. I mean, because when, when fans talk and when media talk, when you're bringing up a referee, it's very rare that you bring up the good games that they have. It's usually the um, the instance like when I think you, and I mean this with the greatest respect, I think of that Rangers-Aberdeen game, um, mainly because it was my team that was involved, obviously. Right. But um, but that's not to say I didn't rate you as a referee. That's just that's what sticks in my mind because obviously... Um, you didn't send Paul Gaskell off. And you also didn't say, I'll, I'll leave now because Billy Dodd should have been sent off that game too um, for kicking at um, Al McLaren. So um, I'm balanced enough that way. Um, but it's, you must need to be a, have really thick skin to be in the business that you ended up in. Of course you do. Of course you do. You, you've got a thick skin. And, um, you, have to be, you have to be ready to take criticism. I mean, get traffic wardens, policemen, people... People in authority, you know, there's always, you know, people are always wanting to have a, a go at them. And as a referee, I think you realise early on in your career that this ain't going to be a nice, smooth passage. The top referees, the Kalina, Kalina and I, you know, they, had, they have their critics, you know. Um, so you always know that you're going to be uh, involved somewhere in a controversial incident or you're not going to have your best game. And, and I think if you, you you have to be aware that you're going to be uh, condemned and, and blasted for for decisions, and and really it's it's how you come out of that I think determines how strong a referee you're going to be in the future. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you got the the honour on your final game um, in Scotland 
with um, the Scottish Cup final in 2005, Celtic yep. London United. Um, passed by relatively quickly for you, I would imagine. Um, you gave a penalty in the game, which was a Stonewall penalty. Celtic win the game 1-0. Um, just describe that honour of being asked to take that occasion. Well, up until up until that occasion, I had I had been fourth man at a, a couple of Scottish Cup finals, a League Cup final, and I thought I was I, I, I genuinely thought I was going to be the bridesmaid that you know all these big games, you know, um, and then when I got the call from Drew Herbertson at the SFA to say that I'd been selected to referee, I was just I was on another planet for ages. I mean, it's the it's the okay, I did European games, but it's the ultimate to referee a national competition. Uh, and then it was I, I was I was just on cloud nine for days and days. Um, and what what people don't know now is about two weeks before it, um, I felt very ill. I, I took like a flu bout, and for about two weeks before it, I was I was ill. Um, luckily, I had enough condition to get back in on the week before to train enough that uh, I did the Livingston Dundee game the week before. With the demon uh, down. That's right. Yeah, and I was I was buzzing. I was buzzing after that because I knew what my next game was, um, and it was going to be my last game. I was very privileged uh, to obviously I had uh, Ricky Mooney and Andy Davis as my assistants, but I was very privileged that day to have Willie Young as my fourth fourth official, and uh, knowing that that was Willie's last game as well. Willie was about to obviously retire because of age, um, and to go out. Leading the teams out, knowing it's your national cup final, um, knowing it was going to be the last game, I had I absolutely it's strange to say I absolutely felt no pressure. I don't know if it's because it was my last game. I mean, I knew the importance of you know for the two clubs what it was, but I, I, I refereed with a freedom that day that I'd, I'd kind of never felt before. It was just a strange, strange feeling. Um, and again, it flew past, you know, it flew past. And uh, I said, to, uh, it was, I think, I think I must have played about five minutes over time that day. And it wasn't because it wasn't due, but I mean, it was, it was, but I, I thought, I hope this game never finishes, you know. Uh, uh, you know, had it went to extra time penalties, I probably would have been quite happy just to, just to be there for as long as I can at your national stadium. Um, and what an honour, you know, what an honour it was that uh, I was able to do that. So you were just prolonging your own end rather than giving justify that extra time. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, and now if we go extra time, yeah, that's another half hour. And then I have the thing with penalties. You know, I'm thinking Willie really nice career could keep going here, but uh, unfortunately, you know, that was it. That was just what happened, you know. And yeah. when that, when that, hit that, I mean, right at the end, uh, I was I was kind of almost in line when Archibald hit that 35 yarder. And it looked as though it was screaming at the top corner. And I'm thinking, what a... I'm thinking what a goal that is. And I think... I think to Paddy Bond, I think he got his fingertips to it. I think he just got his fingertips and it pushed onto the bar. Um, but it looked as though it was crashing into the top corner. And I was thinking, what a goal to finish the cup final that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, that would, have been, that would have been nice if that had went in. And then you would have got yeah, the extra time. But, but, um... half, you know? That's <laughs> 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 right. I'm just... Um, I'm... Before I move on to um, the, some of the Twitter questions and the um, quick-fire, slow-fire questions that I've got myself, um, I just need to ask, um, one, of the thoughts, one of the things that you've been doing since you hung up the whistle, you've been doing a lot of after-dinner speaking. What, um, how much do you enjoy the after-dinner circuit? Um, 
They have to do this, okay. I know it stalled you recently, but... <laughs> goes, it goes... It goes well, it's brilliant. Um, uh, you know, it, it's just... Um, it's almost... It's very much tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's, it's story... The stories are... There's a basis of truth to a lot of them. And just to try and uh, make it a little bit more fun, you kind of embellish one or two things. You put in some one or two silly wee phrases or things... And sometimes it's it's so funny the reaction you get from people after it. Um, it's not the first time I maybe make up a wee story, and somebody will come up after the game and after the after I spoke to him, big man, that was really funny. By the way, I was at that game, and I'm thinking to myself, I just made that up. You know, I'm thinking that, that game never actually took place. I just kind of made a wee story around something, you know. And, and yeah, I was at that game, big man. You had a terrible game that day. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's brilliant. You know, it shows you how much people will believe. And it's great fun being able to tell people true stories, you know, uh, of what it was like to be a referee. And I think some people are quite surprised of, uh, I think the, the picture of referees has been a certain type of person. And when they see that some referees do have a sense of humour, I think it kind of makes people look at referees a little bit different, you know. Yeah, I've been to one where Willie Young was speaking and Willie was really good that night. So um, it, it, must, it must be good that you're able to, um, you know, having been given some of these players yellows and red cards over years or telling these managers to get up in the stands that you're then having a laugh and a chat with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you do. There's people uh, There's people I speak on after dinner circuit with. Dick Campbell. Everybody knows Legend. Dick Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and I tell a true story of what happened up at Inverness when Dick was manager of Brechin and I was refereeing the Inverness Brechin game. Uh, and I tell this story and see if I'm at a gig and Dick Campbell's sitting behind me. Dick Campbell's making all kinds of arm gestures and everything, you know, and get up, you know, this thing, you know, because he knows that it's a true story and, it, you know, it's about him. Uh, the same with the provost, uh, Jim Leishman, when Jim was at Dunfermline and, and I was refereeing uh, and, you know, and I tell a wee story about Jim and what happened there and Jim's the same, hey, a cheating bird, and, you know, and, it, and it's, it's fun, you know, it's fun. You see some people who, ex-players who you see, uh, I did a gig in Glasgow a couple of years ago, Bobby Petter, yeah. uh, you know, was, was at it and he came up after and he said, oh, this is really funny. He said, I didn't know referees were like that, you know, because the, even the players see a different side to you. So it's great fun. It's great fun. No, that that is tremendous. Uh, one other thing, um, that see in England, um, the referees have to declare which team they support. I mean, the most famous one being when Jeff Winter uh, had to turn down the two thousand four League Cup final because his Middlesbrough team were in it. In in Scotland, um, there there isn't that because the fear is that um, there's if if people are doing that, there isn't enough good referees to referee a Celtic Rangers game. Is that something that you think? Should be brought. I mean, for you, I know it wouldn't have been a problem refereeing the Celtic Rangers game being a Wraith Rovers fan, but um, do you think that's something that should be done up here? That referees should just um, say, right, I support Wraith, I can't referee Wraith versus East Fife? Do you know, I I, I don't really see it as a a problem. Um, I mean, we shouldn't, I mean, we're in football. I guarantee you 99.999% of referees are in football because they like football yeah. and 99.999% support a football team. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really it doesn't really matter who you support. I, I refereed Race Rovers twice <laughs> in my career. Did they by any chance? <laughs> well, once was a mistake. Once was a mistake because 
Um, the ballot had uh, Dundee were playing. I think it was Queen of the South that day, and the next game on the ballot was Falkirk and Wraith Rovers. And they, when I opened up the book to see what the ballot was, I was named on the Falkirk Wraith Rovers game, and Stuart Dougal was on the Dundee Queen of the South game. And when I pointed out the fact to uh, the Football League, it was the Scottish Football League, that um, they didn't know that I was uh, doing a, a Kirkcaldy team, and they went, Yeah, I think that was an error. I think you should have been at Dundee. But by that time, the papers had it. So obviously you couldn't change it because it would kind of heighten, you know, it would heighten suspicions. But mm-hmm. um, at no time did I did I think this is my team. But if I think if you go back, you read the daily record that day. Um, today, you know, they always do a pre-Saturday report of you know who's injured, and I think it said uh, in today's game, Falkirk Rovers will be refereed by Kirkcaldy Whistler John Roberts. I mean, I thought, well, that'll certainly get the Falkirk punters, you know, up in arms about that. Um, it didn't matter to me. It was it was a team that I supported as a boy. What happens? Six minutes in, Davy Nichols almost catches the ball on the, on the goal line, and I give a penalty to Ray Throwers. And of course, immediately I get, oh, you know, you cheating, Kirkcaldy. You know, and Ray Throwers win the game, win nothing. Um, and I'm thinking, myself, that's incredible. But then, in my last ever Scottish League game, um, I, I got the put me Ray Throwers versus Airdrie, and and Airdrie won two nothing. And I gave a penalty against Ray Throwers, so it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter to any referee who you support. Um, there are referees I know who have refereed teams who they support, and those teams have been beaten while they've been refereeing. So no, I don't. I don't think. Again, it's a it's a simple case of if you've supported Throwers and you go out with the intention of refereeing Ray Throwers, making sure they win, get out the game. You know, you're cheating. You're cheating everybody. You know, you're cheating, you're cheating the most important people in football, and that's the fans. So get out of the game if that's the way you're going to referee, you know, doing your team. Yeah, I think that's fair because you imagine um, players don't necessarily play for the club. They support, but when they're up against the club, they don't try and score no goal or get themselves sent off or whatever. Um, <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't think, because, like Charlie Nicholas, a prime example, Scottish Cup final in 1990, scores his penalty for Aberdeen rather than missing to make sure his new new team are going to get into Europe and stuff like that. So it must be the same from a refereeing point of view, I'd imagine. The biggest one for me uh, from my era was Dennis Law relegating Man United. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he scored that goal uh, uh, and never celebrated. You know, but it didn't mean to say, he didn't, he didn't try and knock it past the post for, for five yards. Um, you know, he did he did his job, uh, didn't celebrate, which is which is kind of the norm, but he, he didn't bottle out off saying, oh, I'm going to relegate somebody here. I'll tell you what, I'm going to miss this for five yards. It's an open goal. You know, so uh, as a referee, if you're going to referee the team that you supported, whether as a man or as a boy, and you're going to give them something, man, get out of the game. You're cheating. As I say, you're cheating the most important people in the in, in the game, and that's the fans. Yeah, definitely. So some of the other Twitter comments and questions. So Scott Dowie um, actually gives a compliment here. Um, fantastic referee. I haven't said that many times over the years. Um, must have had a photographic memory because he calls us by our first names on the pitch, explained his decisions, talked to us, had a laugh in the park too. Could teach the new generation a hell of a lot. Well, it's nice of people to say that, but it's, it's what I said earlier on, you know, just treat people, you know, treat them like men, you know, and, and don't don't act like a school teacher. And it's nice to hear that people appreciated that, you know. Yeah, 
Definitely. Andrew here will ask two questions. One we've already covered because um, the last senior match you had was the Celtic um, Dundee United Cup final. Um, but what team did um, your wife and her family support? Uh, my wife didn't support anybody because she's uh, she only supported me because my, my, my wife's not into football. Um, my youngest uh, my youngest boy Grant uh, is a, an Arab. He's a Dundee United supporter. Um, and and my, my oldest laddie uh, likes Liverpool and I believe a bit of Heart of Midlothian in there as well. So uh, my granddaughter um, was a heavy fan. Um, so we're spread, we're spread out right throughout, you know, the clubs. So, yeah, so we don't have any major favourites, you know. That's a nice variety you have um, in something different as well. Uh, someone by the name of uh, DJ L Fitz asks... Um, Always thought you were a good ref. Let the game flow. Ask him if that held back his career. Uh, no, no, it didn't. It didn't hold back my career. Um, I think it's it, it's a compliment that every referee would like to hear that the referees let the play flow. Um, because usually, if you let the play flow, you're you're not you're not noticed. And I think that's one of the biggest things for a referee. Go out in the park at the end of the game for all the fans to go home saying that was a great game remember that shot remember that shot you don't want somebody going to say that referee was absolutely terrible today so no it certainly helped I think Altie that's a pretty controversial one here Um, ask him what is the most penalties he's ever awarded in one game where the conversion rate was only 33% but saved a point in the final minutes haven't a clue Um, (laughs) I haven't a clue. I know I gave Rangers three penalties at Dundee once. Was that, uh, was that the one where missed. Ferguson missed two and Arteta scored? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, because uh, I'd, uh, I'd given a penalty. Uh, they missed the one in the first half. I gave a penalty in the second half. Um, uh, and then the ball went in for a corner. The keeper saved it. Went in for a corner. The ball came in. Uh, Big Bob Malcolm and somebody else jumped for it and there was a a Dundee hand on it so I gave another penalty right there at that point so I think that was at three at the end of the game the funny thing about that is at the end of the game we went out to do a warm down uh, and we were up the top end of Dens Park and I saw Jim Duffy coming down the steps at the the changing rooms running up the park and I thought oh wow he's seen someone on the telly that uh, you know I made a bungle here and he come running all the way up the pitch and I thought oh here we go so I, I, I doctor, right? I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you, Jim. And he come around once. I says, "What can I do for you, Jim?" He says, "I just to let you know." He says, "I've looked at these three penalties on the on the telly." He says, "They're all penalties. Well done." And turned and walked away. And I thought, "Wow, you know, there's a man I admire. You know, Jim Duffy, a great guy." Yeah. Do you know, I wish a lot more managers would be honest um, in their post-match interviews. You can almost count in one hand the amount of times managers actually say, "Actually, that was a penalty against us," or "My player did deserve a red card." Never doesn't doesn't happen often enough for me. But um, there you go, an incident where he's run the length of the park. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking it's confrontation. He's run it to say, "Well done, boys. I've got to say there was three penalties." Yeah. You know, and uh, and people people should know about things like that. Yeah, definitely. And this will also go out with that, so we'll certainly highlight that. Um, so a couple more questions now. Um, who's the toughest uh, player you had to deal with in your career? Um, maybe not so much the toughest, but the nippiest, Darren Jackson. Oh, if if Darren was a captain and I tossed the coin and he shouted heads and landed tails 
it was my fault for tossing the coin wrong or something, you know. Darren just, you know, everything Darren wanted every throw. And that, you know, if, if Darren kicked the ball to 60 yards, a diagonal pass, it went right at the park, he'd be the one that was cleaning for a throw. And, oh, he used to just nip away at me all the time. But he used to nip, it, nip away at me, uh, you know, in clever ways. Sometimes he would say something really nasty and I'd turn around. I would notice him, but he would be standing next to a player and he'd give me the shoulders as much as he would. I never said anything, you know. And it, he, was just, he was just a nippy sweetie, you know. Yeah. What was the funniest incident that you've seen on the pitch? The funniest? Yeah. Uh, well, it's difficult. Not so much. Well, I remember Remember when the Celtic had to move to Hamden when they were getting the stadium done up a yeah. few years ago. So there I am on a wet night, Celtic Hibs, in the middle of Glasgow, and I had to stop the game because a fox was on the park and we couldn't get it off the park. And I'm thinking to myself, Selig Hibs, National Stadium, and I'm holding up the game because there's this wee fox running about and it doesn't know whether to go left, right, you know, jump up in the air. And I'm standing like this. God, you can't, you can't write this kind of stuff, you know. It's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And I once saw, uh, went abroad to do it. Actually, I went to Salonica twice, but that time I was telling you with Kenny Clark. And uh, Kenny was my fourth man. I turned round. Kenny was limping. Uh, came over to watch me. I says, what's wrong with you? This is before the game. He says, oh, he says, that guy. He says, that guy in the wheelchair. And I says, aye. He says, he just came across the athletics track, run over my run over my leg and went Spanish bastardo. He thought, he, he thought Kenny was a player for Atletico Madrid and had done him with his wheelchair. Brilliant, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kenny was crippled. That's brilliant. Now, who's your favourite re- refereeing colleague? Uh, well, um, my well, the guy I looked up to, uh, and he was still refereeing when I, you know, God, God rest his soul, was Jim McCluskey. Um, I thought Jim McCluskey was great, but I had a real, a real affinity with all the. See the guys when I was refereeing, you know, Hugh Dallas, Willie Young, Kenny Clark, Alan Freeland, Stuart Diggle, Mike McCurry. Uh, the guys, you know, the guys who um, were FIFA referees at the time, we were all very close, all very supportive. Um, so I, had, I didn't have so much one favourite. I had lots of guys, you know, guys from Edinburgh, Big Tam Brown and that, who were class ones. There was loads of guys. We had a real good camaraderie, a real good bunch of referees uh, in those days. But Jim McCluskey was the one that I always admired, um, as it did Brian McGinley, who was a terrific referee. Um, what was your career highlight? Um, uh, probably a couple, definitely the Scottish Cup final. Um, definitely the Scottish Cup final because of what it was. It was a, it was a national, you know, a national tournament, so it was an honour to referee that. But also to be able to go abroad and be involved in fifty European games, represent my country, especially when it was internationals. Um, you know, you were standing there listening to the national anthem. Actually, once I thought they'd play the national anthem, I went to Liechtenstein with Mike McCurry, and and I was ready. Mike was the fourth official, so we're standing there, and it was Liechtenstein in, in Austria. So they played the Austrian national anthem, and then the, the thing was they then played the home into the the home national anthem, but they started playing "God Save the Queen," and I said to Mike, I said, "Geez, oh, I said this is the first time they've ever played." Our national anthem for the referees, isn't that amazing? And Mike's going, ah, he says, that's amazing. And then it stopped. 
And that was it. Apparently, it's the same tune for the Liechtenstein National Anthem as our one. So I thought they were doing us the honour of doing our national anthem, and it wasn't really for us. So, But being a referee, every time you went abroad, you were representing Scotland. So it was like 50 caps you were getting, you know, so real proud. Yeah, good stuff. Um, a couple of non-football-related ones. Um, I saw on your Facebook that you like to make cheesecakes. What's your best cheesecake that you've made? Do you know something? This is something that started since it's the fellow I can't bake and I can't cook. But I was watching Bake Off one night and had my grandkids along and they were making a Victoria sponge. And I said, how difficult can it be to make a Victoria sponge? And they went, gone then. So I did, and it actually turned out all right. And then I saw a crunchy cheesecake recipe. And I thought, that looks easy. So I did a crunchy one, but definitely mint arrow. Can I tell you, John, it is absolutely delicious, even though I say it myself. And the other day, the other day, for the first time ever, I tried snowballs. Oh, and they were absolutely magic. So I'm, I'm quite enjoying doing a wee bit of bacon now. What's next in your list? Um, what was I looking at? Oh, I was watching Bake Off last night and I quite fancied a chocolate brownie. It looks quite easy, so I might do that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, what's your favourite beer or wine? Uh, not a beer drinker. Um, do like wine, but I like um, old Jamaica rum. Nice. It's, my, it's my triple. Um, I actually went, last year we went to Jamaica for the first time for a wee week's holiday and they were making slushies with Jamaica rum in it. Appleton, it was, it was Appleton rum uh, made, in, made in Jamaica and they were making slushies and pouring um, rum in it and it's the best slush I've ever had in my life. So I'm really into that Appleton rum now. <laughs> Brilliant, that sounds good. Uh, final question. Um, you, I gave you warning this, thank goodness. Uh, the best 11 of players that you've refereed? Right, have you got two seconds? Because I've got it written down. Sure, right. I'll hold. Right, hold on. Sorry about that. The only reason I wrote this down was when you answered us, I started, I, I, I got my book out of all the games because I've got a list of all the games I've ever done, been involved in, whether it be referee, fourth official, or whatever. And I started looking at some of the guys that had um, been involved in, whether it's referee or fourth official, uh, and it astonished me. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to write down these because there were so many of players. So it really just was an Aladdin of players who I really admired when I saw them in real life. Was that yeah. the kind of thing you're looking for? So That's fine, yeah. So the first on my list was uh, when I was in, in Milan, it was uh, Ruth Hulett. Um, was 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 playing as was uh, Marco van Basten, um, and they they two up front were just uh, I, I was gobsmacked, you know I was gobsmacked. That was another time I was in Milan and uh, I got recognised for Kalina. They thought I was Kalina walking out to be the fourth official at Milan game, so that that was quite amusing. Um, and also um, I then once I was involved refereeing uh, Bayern, so uh, there was uh, Luther Matthias and uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, they were they were involved in that. Um, then I was involved with a game at Inter Milan where it was a uh, Ronaldo, as in, and this sounds very this sounds very cool, but I think he was referred to as Fat Ronaldo as yeah. opposed to. And so Ronaldo was in, involved. Um, and then more domestically, a couple of players who I really admired when I when uh, I was uh, doing the the old firm was uh, Brian Laudrup. 
and uh, an excellent striker, uh, Henrik Larsson. <laughs> so, uh, also on that list where I'd be involved was David Beckham. I once did, uh, um, I was in the Toulon tournament. I was linesman, England versus France on the 21s. Beckham complained to me about giving the throw into France, and I saw something I'd never seen in my life before. The referee, who was called Jat Uhlenberg from Holland, came up to Beckham and said, linesman is correct, and slapped Beckham in the face. Now, I'd never seen that in my life before. And I thought, now that's a strange one. It wasn't a big slap. It was more a, you know, just a wee yeah. And I thought, well, there you go. Uh, and then that game I talked about earlier on, I went to Alicante to do the Spanish under-21s. A young player at that time who was way above everybody else was Raul. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, when I was involved in a game with um, Paris Saint-Germain, was David Genoa. Um, the great Franco Baresi mm-hmm. when uh, I did a game in yeah. and lastly the one who, um, who I, I managed to grab his shirt after the game and, and believe it or not I refereed him when he was in Dunfermline uh, when Arsenal came up was Thierry Henry yeah um, so that was the bet that I mean I've got a, you know a, I've got a list along his man but the, those were definitely 11 players that uh, I, I was amazed at the, the skill factor even in those days you know it was just tremendous yeah no goalkeeper so you're just playing 11 outfield players and hoping that well, someone works. Know, <laughs> no, no, there, there was there was a lot there was a lot of um, goalkeepers you know I mean obviously I'd seen you know I'd seen a few I mean in particular like say, um, David Seaman at you know Arsenal but do you know you can say what you want and people always have their own opinions about um, goalkeepers but we had one you know Andy Gorham yeah. you know Andy Gorham was Andy Gorham was a fantastic goalkeeper Agreed. you know a fantastic goalkeeper and could probably hold his own with all the goalkeepers that were around you know who I had been involved with in games you know obviously I did, that, that 11 I gave you was just players that mm-hmm. I had admired that I'd been involved with I didn't, I didn't really go through sort of back four or anything like that you know it was just players that who really lit the place up for me um, mm-hmm. um, goalkeepers don't get a lot of credit uh, and it's okay but Andy well we know we know what you know what he did uh, to Celtic over these years um, but Andy Gorham and then obviously you know was, was at other places as well but Andy was a and he was a great goalkeeper, and not a big lad either. He wasn't one of these big, tall, you know, gangly goalkeepers. You know, he was a, you know, and and, and I think a lot of good goalkeepers were in Scotland, um, not so much uh, Europe. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the guys. It was always the midfield stroke attacking players that caught my eye. You know, obviously with the exception of Franco Baresi, who was a a fantastic defender. I mean, there was another one, and there was Paolo Mardini. You know, who was also a fantastic defender. Uh, a lot of AC Milan connections here because there was a, there were the team of the the time when I was about. You know, and we are we was very lucky to be involved uh, refereeing in in, in Biwa. Yeah, to be say be fair, but Ace and Maldini could just defend themselves, and the rest can just attack. So you've got, um, I think. Well, one guy, you, you could you could have had you could have had one of these sort of two six two formations or something like that. <laughs> yeah. they, well, they, they didn't. Do you know they didn't seem to have to think about what they were doing? They were they just they just did it. You know, it just seemed so natural, uh, so natural to them. Um, and it was just, but I mean, to be it was, there was just some fantastic players, and there's probably too many to mention. But just that these players all lit up. You know, a, a game for me at, at any time. You know. Yeah. 
Excellent. Well, you've always had the privilege of um, being able to referee games involving these these characters. So, um, but listen, thanks very much for your time, John. It has um, been an absolute pleasure, giving us an insight to what life is like in the middle of the pitch rather <laughs> rather than just from a player's point of view. So, no, thank you very much for your time. Oh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's nice because it's nice. I think you don't get a chance very often to to have a trip down memory lane, you know, and and like people will see that. By the way, it was great fun being a referee. It was a job, but it was great fun being a referee. I wouldn't swap it for the world. Yeah, good stuff. No, I'm glad you glad you enjoyed your career, and I'm glad you enjoyed the chat that we've had today. But um, yeah. no, thanks again for your time, and um, you stay safe, and um, all the best with your retirement when it comes up. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate that. Right. Take care, John. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye.